Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Hello? guys. It's a new day. It's the end of the week. It's there? time for a new episode of Back to Backwards. While you are listening to this, you are most likely making use of the internet. What? Well, supposedly there's something wrong with the internet. Can you copy me? At least according to Thomas Markey. Hello? The co-founder of Centivate. Please, sir. He's a very young and very bright mind. And he has some interesting stuff Guys, to say. Guys, please, please. So let's dive me. into the interview. And let's see and find out what Centifade is all about. Good morning, Tom. I am really happy to have you on today at Back to Backwards. Um, you are one of the most passionate founders I've seen in terms of having a clear vision. And your company, Centifade, is focusing on laying the foundation for the future of the web. And I know that you have told this story over and over again. But can you explain us one more time in layman's terms what is currently wrong with the internet we all use on a, on a daily basis? So the web has a, a plethora of issues from actually a lot of different topics. It's not just technology. It's not just political. It's cultural. Uh, and, you know, some of these issues could be hardware-based and they're not just software-based. For us right now, everything we're doing, everything we're proposing uh, that's public on the site that has to deal with Senevate is software related. Um, and with that said, there's a lot of these technical issues which cost companies and users a lot of money. Um, mm -hmm. And we're heading down a path where uh, this technology is kind of like a deleterious path where it's only going to get worse. And we're going to be in a situation like a bandwidth crisis, something we experienced during COVID. So we know already that this is a, re a very real reality. It's not just something uh, that we've talked about in theory or academia or that's, you know, something on the news that could potentially happen. We know that it will happen and it's essentially only a matter of time. Um, with that said, there are certain evolutions that need to take place and whether, uh, you know, it happens or not uh, kind of will set the tone for how the web will be in the future. Um, mm -hmm. But we're here to replace all of that broken tech uh, and there's a lot of it. Uh, a lot of old software uh, and a lot of old mentality um, that needs to be completely gutted and thrown out and kind of rehashed. Um, that still means that large in part, all the hardware today uh, will still work with it. Uh, it just means a simple update. Um, and, you know, we expect full backwards compatibility. So no issues there. Okay, just uh, let me take it a, a step back. So there are sure. some software issues. Um, when I look at the internet, there are two sides. There's the provider or the company who is mm -hmm. like sending out and the consumer, like me mm -hmm. sitting behind my desk using the internet. Can you explain the problems both stakeholders uh, experience right now with the status quo system? Sure, so from a company perspective, uh, there's actually a few different issues. So one of the big issues, if you're, say, a Netflix or an Amazon, right, where you're purchasing a very uh, large amount of bandwidth mm -hmm. um, or even physical infrastructure, renting it, I'd say, to uh, kind of offset bills because the amount of bandwidth that you have uh, and that your, you know, your servers have to handle so on and so forth is quite substantial. Uh, mm -hmm. They've even tried to put uh, Netflix in particular cache servers uh, closer to physical locations 
where users are, so to better uh, alleviate uh, congestion, uh, even at their own cost, meaning they were willing to buy the hardware and pay for the expenses, of course. That's also what we've seen during the peak of the COVID crisis, that we experienced the downgrade of Netflix video right. quality. Right, right, exactly. Netflix, Amazon, Google, they all kind of had their own response to, which for the most part was, you know, lower quality standards, um, where it would prioritize a lower standard uh, of quality. Uh, maybe a little bit uh, stronger congestion control um, in, in relation to the quality of, say, video um, that's being broadcast, or it may be something related to webcams or security cameras. That we, that's that's what we have seen with things like Google, um, where certain you know security cameras or Google Home cameras, I should, I should say, um, were the quality for them were potentially lowered. Um, but yeah, with with that said. Uh, there's costs associated with a lot of these um, basically outdated technologies where you're essentially running into a situation where your hardware could actually do way more than it already does. Uh, but because of the software, because of the standards you're using, you're overcomplicating things uh, and you tend to run up the bills as a result. So it's like scalable, but only for companies with very deep pockets. Yeah, I mean, it's it's scalable to a degree for them. There are limitations, obviously, like Netflix is experiencing, where, you know, the tech that they're using has certain limitations and costs. Uh, so even for a company with deep pockets, if you're talking about saving them a million a year, um, they'd still jump at that. If you're if you're talking about saving them potentially tens of millions or billions of year, billions a year, depending on obviously uh, the company, uh, it, you know, that's quite easily feasible. Um, Obviously, yeah. yeah, depending on, you know, it's all, it's all depending on your congestion, your bandwidth, your cost, uh, you know, a cost analysis, how things are actually being, you know, broken down. Uh, and you could be in a situation where you're paying per bandwidth, if you're in a very remote, you know, uh, landscape or a remote country, uh, paying per gigabyte, let's say, or paying per, per meg. Uh, mm -hmm. In most extreme situations, I've seen paying per megabyte. Um, but uh, an analysis was done by Amazon where about a hundred millisecond delay uh, in page load is about a 1% loss of profits. And this is, you're talking about seven plus years ago now. So if I'm browsing like as a user and, and my experience is 100 milliseconds slower, like not even noticeable, yes, that costs 1%. Yes. Yes. That's crazy. And that, yes. Uh, Amazon did that uh, a few years ago now, I think over seven years ago. Uh, last time they looked at it, then um, Akamai did it again um, a bit later, and I think they went up to 7%, and then it's suggested now that the consensus is that it's probably around 10% or even higher, where uh, a user's attention kind of has like a smaller and smaller window as technology advances and how uh, true, you know yeah. efficient you know we design these things, the consumer mind changes, uh, and not only that, but the protocols uh, that we obviously built for people uh, will change so that that window by itself may actually adjust or different yeah. things might go into effect if a certain amount of uh, response isn't given yeah. uh, by a certain amount of time. Um, Especially with the whole 5G network coming up, you know, people are going to demand even better than instant seamless experiences. You know, there's, right. there's no, yeah, there's nothing below that. Right. Some, a lot of uh, folks have actually brought this up to say, hey, 
you know, does 5G actually uh, mean that some of the problems will be solved? Actually, I don't, I don't think it means that at all. I think it might actually expedite some of these issues because, you know, you're talking about wireless networks, right? You're not talking about physical wires on the ground, right? So that's really where that bandwidth constraint kicks in. Uh, you know, you can have a lot of failed requests on just home wireless networks or from a phone network. It's very common. If you look at, you know, your your logs, your settings, you'll see that there's actually a lot of failed attempts on wired networks. It's most of the time, especially for my location, it's essentially zero. Um, but um, where you're running into big issues or a lot of failed, you know, packets or requests. Um, yeah, with that said, these physical pipes in the ground uh, are the actual limitations. Uh, it's not really how, you know, if you speed up a wireless network um, or increase the amount of information it can digest at a given point in time, right? Um, that's one thing. And a lot of people uh, tend to kind of uh, mix the idea of speed and the idea of bandwidth into like this one thing where like 5G means more bandwidth and more, yeah. you know, speed. It might mean that you can do more theoretical output, more theoretical, you know, speed. Uh, maxes it doesn't actually mean that you know you, you the internet as a whole has more bandwidth or that you run, won't run into the same bandwidth. let me make a crazy comparison if the if the romans built a city with a sewage system and you know they used to live like 1200 people uh, in that village and now they are living 12000 people uh well they, they they still have to go to the to the toilet so that's just a big problem right. so yeah, you either uh, change the the sewage system, or you change the diet of right. people, for instance. But you have to do right. something because otherwise it it would congest. Right. Exactly, and uh, on a uh, economic scale, that's a very big deal because you're talking about uh, if we just look at the Amazon, you know, uh, number of 100 milliseconds, or we look at it in the future from that point, from like companies like Akamai and things like that, uh, where the number is much higher. Um, it, it's a dramatic uh, problem. You're talking trillions of dollars of loss. You're talking about billions of dollars of overhead. There's a lot of scenarios where companies, because of these outdated technologies, actually end up putting way more out of pocket and overhead. And this stuff kind of adds up over time. You know, imagine if you could have mm -hmm. a uh, a server that was maybe last generation, but can outperform today's generation just because. Uh, you put technology on it or software that's just more efficient. Uh, it's more mindful. Mm -hmm. um, it's more secure. You know, there's uh, new software. Uh, yeah. But that's what it's boiling down to because you described the obvious problems we are uh, experiencing. And you also say, okay, well, we need some more efficient software. But how can you make software uh, that's even more efficient than, you know, it has been developed over time? How can this be solved? So uh, a lot of the the kind of stagnation um, in web webland, I'd like to call it, or WC three, you know, mm -hmm. things like this, basically standard bodies. Um, I'd like to say is in part bureaucratic. Um, uh, you'll notice that a lot of the stuff that gets pushed through now are typically folks who are coming from large companies, and not from people mm -hmm. who are just. Uh, you know, going, hey, this is actually a really smart or, or a good play here, and this is a better decision to make. Um, so these decisions are made a bit more with um, overhead and minder costs associated, um, or that uh, it, there's kind of priority given to people who are coming from certain companies or certain roles 
uh, rather than, okay, mm-hmm. this is actually a better decision as a whole and in the long run would save us more uh, money and potentially get us out of a catastrophic situation where potentially we're, you know, worst case scenario in a world where there's people who, you know, we're more and more dependent upon the internet and more and more devices are connected to it, right? So imagine if everything was and and it's bad to the point where you yourself are either in the class that can afford the internet and kind of uh, enter the first world uh, uh, as it is, or you're the side that can't afford it um, and you're kind of on these slower speed lanes and you're doing work slower, you're doing work at a completely different pace um, or completing things or enjoying things at a completely different pace because of those limitations. Uh, and they can get very costly depending on, on the network. But with that said, to go back to digress and go back to your original question, um, the answer mm-hmm. is a very technical one. The solution, I should say, is a very technical one. Yeah, uh, But the blunt answer is is that you go through all the little thing, all the little components. For example, HTTP, uh, DNS, mm-hmm. uh, the way applications, web applications, in and of themselves, actually function, um, and the technology they use to communicate between server and client, being something like HTTP and the underlying protocol there. Um, so HTTP has kind of these two parts to it, and the problem with uh, this being two parts is that the one part you can swap out uh, and still, uh, for the most part, have uh, with an update have uh, you know straightforward support, right? So it'll it'll be able to fall back to to older protocols, um, being you know say TCP, because the new one HTTP three. Uh, does actually change to what we've been saying for years. We made a prediction that the web needed to uh, change from TCP to a custom UDP protocol. And we said this, you know, years ago, and now it happened. So and we've been right for a, about a few different things. From the bandwidth crisis, we saw obviously with COVID, from HTTP uh, being we needed to change it drastically and drop TCP from the stack and adopt UDP. And a little bit after we said, after we saw an Internet Engineering Task Force member go to a Google conference and ask about Quick, uh, we knew at that very moment that uh, the next version of HTTP uh, was going to include a gutting of a lot of the base stuff in favor of uh, the Quick protocol from Google, uh, which is basically a more efficient way to transport data from one, one location to another. Um, and with that said, the second part, though, to that problem, and this is where uh, we think uh, a lot of the issues are going to come into play after, um, in terms of just HTTP, is the semantics part. So in HTTP 3, you have all this gutting of kind of like the stuff underneath that layer. And all of the communications on top and that semantics remain the same. So, you know, you don't address, essentially look at a a, a, a problem and imagine only half of that problem being solved and the other half is still there so now you know a chain is only as strong as its weakest link right so if you have this one little problem it doesn't actually uh, allow the other parts of that solution to fully reach its potential it essentially puts it in a box and now you're limited to that playground but that playground um, actually provides the greatest compatibility uh, and, and, you know, nothing has to change in that world. And so from a, you know, non-revolutionary but an incremental perspective, uh, that's enough for them. 
Um, and they're okay with that because, mm-hmm. you know, they can, like you were saying, they have deep pockets. They can afford a lot of these things, um, obviously, to a degree. If there's a, quite a sub- substantial amount of costs they could cut down, you know, they're going to make those efforts. But in large part, the Internet and the web, the changes that happen on it um, tend to happen from a cultural perspective. So we have these big changes. Definitely nowadays. Yeah, we have these big changes from devs that push things uh, and that make ordinary people use it. Like we have uh, HTTPS everywhere. We had, uh, you know, Let's Encrypt. Those two things, um, which I believe is from Jan um, at, I believe she works now at Brave, um, uh, mm-hmm. great programmer, brilliant programmer, but, um, or I should say just mind in general, but, uh, you know, that cultural focus, that cultural shift happened, you know, just that from a cultural perspective and it got a bunch of companies and people yeah. on board as a result, made the, the web better as a whole. So it's funny because I, I had a question prepared and it goes like, who is more prepared to live in a world of IOT humans or technology? So as I'm hearing you now, it seems that uh, us humans, you know, we are ready uh, to 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 like fully uh, immerse in a in in a world of uh, IoT, but the tech isn't ready for that right. yet. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, there's so like IoT, for example, you have a lot more connections, you have a lot more congestion, you have a lot more activity. So so what does that mean? That means your your bandwidth concerns are obviously much more uh, than. Uh, they originally were. You're you're going to be in a situation where congestion is kind of like insane now because a coffee machine uh, has internet and can tell you the can tell you the weather, uh, the or, yeah, or what, exactly. you know types of coffee you have. Same thing with uh, your refrigerator, so on and so forth. It's a completely different world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, but Tom, um, the problem is clear. What needs to be done? Uh, is also clear without going into detail. I, I think people can read a lot about uh, the, the the technical de- details on your website. But right now, uh, the Centivate token runs on the Ethereum platform, and eventually it will be swapped to your native token uh, called Fiat. So this leads to two questions: What is the current use of the ERC twenty based uh, SNTVT token, and how will Fiat eventually take its place. So SNTVT has a, a few different uh, functions. Uh, the initial design and use of it uh, was specifically geared towards kind of onboarding people, but also allowing folks to kind of have a, without being a developer, a say in actually, you know, I guess you could say the tokenomics of things, um, but also the direction of mm-hmm. the project. So. For example, um, how much to burn, when to burn, you know, things like that can be decided uh, by the community in large part. Um, there's different okay. uh, kind of voting uh, aspects to it in use cases. Hold on a second. I think my cat is actually outside. Give me a moment. She is okay. in the background, so if I don't let her in, it won't get louder. Sure. No, 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 no. Where's this? All right, guys, it seems that uh, our interview is temporarily hijacked by a kitten. Well, these things happen during COVID, the COVID crisis, when you work from home. These things happen. It's yeah, part of life. The perils of uh, 
having a cat that thinks uh, she's a queen. It's really funny. It's she'll uh, she'll run to. Uh, she went on an uh, adventure. Yeah, I've got a a uh, a cat Pookie that we even did an SNTVT kind of uh, voting thing on, where folks um, from the community voted on her name, and it ended up being this really long. <laughs> That's yeah, nice. it was a really long name. You know, it was raised a little bit of awareness about uh adopting instead of you know the, the saying is adopt don't shop uh and uh we kind of raised some awareness with that the first real crypto yeah, kitten i would i would say so definitely the first real one <laughs> she uh enjoyed the fruits yeah. of it right Pooks? she's actually right next to me now it's kind of funny but uh she's coming a long way hi Pooks. thanks for uh thanks for coming on Pooks. do you have anything to say what do you think Pooks? yeah she just licked her lips that's about it Okay, yeah, well, that's uh, <laughs> that's good enough, Pooks. <laughs> um, where did we left uh, Pooks and Tom? You were telling about the utility of SNTVT and the eventual swap towards uh, fiat. Right. And why? Right. Um, okay, so another thing that uh, people with a, a token uh, get is access to certain early applications so there's early stuff coming out this year since this is our big year for our 2020 uh what people typically say is our main net launch mm -hmm. but uh what that translates to us to is um uh, the universal web is going through a soft launch uh and that will transition into viat which means that uh you know we'll be transitioning away from the erc20 the ethereum token which will be burned in the process uh when they swap it over to to Viat, which is our native cryptocurrency. Um, the okay. universal web uh, has certain aspects where SNTVT will take play, for example, and only SNTVT and eventually transition to Viat. For example, domains on it. Uh, right now, we have it set so that only uh, those with SNTVT get, first off, they get priority, um, and second, they they get a better uh, rate uh, for a certain domain. And we understand that that domain is essentially being considered as an additional kind of like property uh, for folks on how the same way they kind of see domains today. Um, but we, we're a little bit uh, stronger on, and not from the little guy perspective, more of the big guy perspective for domains um, that are being squatted on, uh, but more, it's seen as uh, what GoDaddy uh, likes to call it uh, and the like as, as parking a domain um, for, you know, there's yeah. a lot of, uh, Pretty yeah, squatting is, is uh, bad, but apparently if you're a big company with a lot of money, uh, you can do this thing called parking and uh, you can do it on mass and then you can even be a domain reseller. And apparently, which is your, your only, um, you know, goal for that website that you have is to obviously intent, you know, intend to sell it. You know, you're quite literally called a domain reseller. So, um, you know, it's, it's a bit strange how the laws work with that. I think it needs to be a little bit more succinct. And uh, folks who are SNTVT holders also get to kind of join this. We're essentially building like what the Roman Republic had for a government model, the initial base for it. Uh, where first we have an elected set of people from the community. You know, they're not connected to us in any way other than they're just part of the community and they're holders. Um, and they get a certain say uh, in the community as well as 
uh, to a degree, the tokenomics and to a degree, the company even. Uh, and they after can either help elect or um, help hold elections for other uh, community guys to come in and become board members um, and actually work with uh, a company side board. And there's these two different boards that we're setting up. One is community-based, one is uh, company-based. Uh, these two layers, uh, which is universalweb.io that we're gonna be putting up and people can, who are holders and who essentially become senators in the republic, so to say, on the web, because um, we kind of just see this this new universal web that we're building as kind of like a government or like a digital, you know, um, country, if you will. And there's economics in it. There's there's you know a market. There's buyers. There's sellers. There's uh, people with a lot of different properties. Yeah, and so fiat would be the base currency of that country, so right. to say. And does it has like? Uh, more utility than the current placeholder oh, token? Oh, dramatically. So the, the, so VIA in and of itself is, first off, it's the native cryptocurrency for the VIA network. And VIA does plug into the universal web, but they actually have opposite topologies uh, and, and kind of like opposite views on how they operate. VIA is decentralized first mm -hmm. with some uh, centralized components that do things like wallet security that are opt-in. Uh, and instant transactions, which are again opt-in, and you can even choose uh, if you want to interact with a wallet that actually has wallet security and things like that. Um, and uh, it plugs into the universal web in a lot of different ways. Um, the identity certificates and domain certificates actually are effectively Viat wallets. They're your key pairs for the Viat wallet, and they can be used to, let's say, if a person's connecting to your site. And they want to go, you know what, I want to donate to Mr. Backwards and fund his efforts, uh, uh, you know, in crypto. Mm -hmm. Okay, they can automatically, just from the browser, they're automatically able to tell this is, you're specifically and cryptographically verified that the domain that they're on is associated with a specific cryptographic certificate. They can then send VIA to that, uh, you know, in a... Uh, in a way that gives them enough, you know, trust to rely on a certain amount of math uh, to validate that uh, and then send over that that donation to you or potentially a payment. If you're a, a, pay, a PayPal, if you're a uh, eBay, if you're an Amazon, whatever it may be and you're transferring something, uh, Viat would be a good vehicle to kind of instantly allow a one-click payment. So you go on this how is that different from, for instance, uh, MetaMask that plugs in into your browser? Yeah, so it's funny. MetaMask, we're, ask, we're actually going to support it as a third-party plugin natively, uh, meaning bundled with our browser. Okay. Um, so we want to cool. have as many options for that as possible. But the reality is, is that for MetaMask, uh, it relies on a completely different mechanism. So there's it, it has its own protocols for identifying you know, and creating the relationship between uh, the, the domain name you're on and then what wallet addresses are associated with it or, and whatnot. So from us, uh, if, you were to con if you were connecting to a domain, you would get an identity certificate from, the, from our DIS. In the web today, you would get just routing information, basically where an IP address to go to, right, from the DIS. So very different from us in that. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? For us, it means that the moment you make that DIS request and you get that information back, boom, you have uh, exactly all you need to know to, to immediately donate and you can cryptographically verify that 
uh, to that domain. So right, so these this Biot wallet and the domain itself are cryptographically linked in a certificate. So it's just a shorter, shorter route. Much shorter, much shorter, and and it's intuitive and faster. Yeah, exactly. It's built right in. It's yeah. baked into it. So if you and again, this hmm. comes into a more complex problem where you're talking about creating things on top of other things rather than integrating them together. That's the problem with the web today. There's a lot of things, layers, yeah. layers. Stacking. Right, exactly. Yeah. Everyone is stacking their technology on right. top of other technology. Right. And it, you know, it's, it, it's amazing to have this kind of interoperability. But if you take it too far, it, it slows things down drastically. Yeah, right, exactly. Know? And that's the problem we're at today. That's why we had a small bandwidth crisis. During COVID, we've had... Uh, potentially even a crisis where, you know, a lot of cell phones recently in the U.S. had really bad or no service. Uh, there's a lot of speculation as to why, uh, but regardless, that's a reality that's perfectly uh, capable of occurring uh, given a very high amount of traffic or activity in a certain area. Um, so you could say that there's like uh, a perfect storm brewing in terms of... Uh business environment for uh Centifate to thrive yes. in yes and transforming the web as we know it right now is a is a huge task yeah. and some people who are listening right now they might even call it megalomania you know just just, just friendly said so yeah so let me uh ask you this how long would it take before your goal is, is achieved or in other words Will Centivate ever throw in the towel? So this is a this is kind of I guess the heart of the question. So there's a, a few things to address here. One is the web uh, and the internet are two different things. And I think when people think that the web is like this complicated mess of like uh, wires and physical things around, well, it's it's not. The internet is for sure. And mm-hmm. changing the web is actually largely software. And uh, ev- like I said, every piece of hardware today supports what we have. Um, it, it actually would only take a simple update for them to start uh, having code specifically for us and to start, you know, inter- interacting with the UW um, natively. Very, it's very simple, actually. It's very cheap, very affordable. It's actually very easy to do. It's just a matter of an update. We, we actually started, um, you know, way back in the beginning when we were building everything out. Uh, with a client and server module so that if any person actually wanted to go ahead and start incorporating bits or pieces of uh, of this into their project, they actually could just install the server module really quickly and they're up and running. Um, so it's actually a lot simpler than people think. Um, and it's, this actually has happened without people uh, ever noticing. Uh, and it happened uh, practically in an instant. Um, and it happened a few different ways uh, just in the past few years. We had Spidey, we had things like Quick, uh, and now we have a, now we have HTTP three, right? So things like Quick were happening uh, with uh, for people on Chrome without with Google services and Google products without them ever knowing. So Google was taking advantage yeah. of this alternate web technology uh, without folks ever knowing. It all happened was a simple update. So these things have really big implications, and it's about uh, understanding the implications and understanding where the world is moving and where the web is moving to build uh, you know, innovative solutions here that make sense. Uh, but the implications and the impact that those simple solutions have are actually really big. And I think it's 
that view that, okay, the impact is so big and that so many things are using it um, that it's like impossible or it's, or it's complicated. The reality is, is that it's, it's actually really not complicated to do at all. I mean, it takes a lot of research and time that we've been, you know, we put years into a lot of this stuff uh, to actually uh, understand how to make it and how to put it all together and actually understand the problems a lot of these problems are large in part ignored and then people kind of move on from them and we're getting to the point where big companies even like google for example are coming in and saying whoa okay this problem that we've been passing up a lot on can't be passed up anymore so if it's coming to the point mm -hmm. where um okay we're having a bandwidth crisis now even with with http3 and the benefits for HTTP, HTTP3 have been, you know, uh, less than 10%. I've, I've seen figures as low as 2% or 3%, uh, which is uh, quite negligent, uh, meaning that we're only talking about delaying an inevitable problem. So it's not really a question yeah. of, you know, are, first of all, is it possible or can we do it? I mean, yes, it's possible. And yes, it's, it's very viable. It's very doable. And that's the entire uh, goal we have is only to build viable, realistic replacements for a lot of this technology uh, that take care of a lot of its initial uh, functionality and then some. Um, but it's um, it's also just going to happen. So it's it's not you know whether we like it or not. It's well this is going to happen at some point. So if we whether it's us or somebody else or you know so on and so forth. It, this has to be addressed. Yeah. It's not something that can be ignored. And it, it needs to be updated someday. Right, right. Um, but that, that also raises another problem, in, in my opinion. I mean, if you're talking about big corporations, they always like to, to have everything in-house, all the tech developments. Right, yep. And at, at the same time, crypto has some stains on, uh, on it. So I think big companies are also very hesitant to adapt this new technology, I, I totally agree. Uh, although they might know, uh, yeah, it would be very beneficial yeah, for them. So one, this is exactly the heart of it. And we, we talk about this quite a lot. And it's that a solely blockchain based web is uh, not only is it irrational, but it quite literally isn't isn't feasible when it comes to performing uh, and serving uh, and providing the same feature set as the web uh, that it has today. So the web that we're working on is mm -hmm. centralized focused uh, and it has some decentralized components to it. That's why we effectively have two networks. We have the universal web here and we have Viot, two with two different you know, topologies, two different views on how they should operate, right? Viot is decentralized focus that's blockchain based. The web we have is kind of like this interoperable set of technologies technologies that provide a basis for you to do whatever really what you want. You could make a, a D app on it. You can kind of make a mix between a D app and a universal web app, even a, and even a, uh, a modern day web app. Uh, it's totally viable. We, we, let that, we leave that up to creators and developers and businesses to decide that uh, as they will. Um, and with that said, uh, uh, the changes that we're proposing, the software related changes, um, are actually something that makes perfect sense to them already. Uh, when it comes to protocols like Quick, Google has already made that effort without you knowing or most people knowing in the world. Um, uh, so we know it's something they've already tried, uh, they're already willing to try, and they've already recently implemented. Um, and then that turned into, first of all, it's open source, uh, and that turned into everyone on the web today adopting it. So uh, as long as the, the gains are there, 
and the the logic is sound and all the pieces are there you know and set in place so they can start using the tech uh the switch is is a very um easy one at that uh and um you know again it's just it could be as little as an update where all they're doing now is just supporting an additional set of protocols um or listening you know on a specific uh port and you know and that's it it's a really small uh change uh when everything's packaged up especially for quick for now if you wanted quick in a an application of yours you can simply just download the the you know the quick uh library and uh, it'll give you access from sure server and client modules and then you can start creating your own you know your own setup or just reintegrating that so instead of Bitcoin using TCP, for example, they could use Quick, or they could use uh, something like what we're building, which is probably far more efficient um, than Quick is, because Quick is designed for a, a very unique purpose. Um, and with that being said, it would probably be better for for Bitcoin as a whole to adopt something like UDSP. So every project in crypto has nothing uh, but gains uh, to experience from partnering with us or using parts of our technology and reincorporating it into their uh, networking stack or their protocol stack, whatever it may be. You can retrofit some of that tech uh, into their own. So you'd even have to use the universal web. You could use parts of its technology and just incorporate it into your, you know, your set of tools. Yeah, that would be a huge driver for growth. Yeah, huge. Yeah, we're talking to a lot of uh, privacy cryptos, privacy-focused cryptos um, on that end uh, to integrate things like our UDSP protocol in, into theirs and whatnot. Okay. Can you name any of them? Yeah, or is that so, still, uh... so one of them we've been talking to, and I think people have kind of seen seen it way since way back in the beginning. It was probably one of our early ones, and it's, it's public now, so I, I don't really can see an issue with it. But uh, is Blur. So uh, Biz is a guy that, um, you know, I personally met. Uh, we've, we've both, we both sat in the room together. We've had some good conversations with uh, uh, a guy of ours in the team, Dennis. Uh, and, you know, it was a, a very casual conversation, very open about the problems that Blur wants to solve. And it's a lot of his, he has very, um, you know, strict and uh, specific uh problems that he he's problems he wants to solve on his network and funny enough ours solves them in a certain way where it's kind of like illogical to do the things that he doesn't want to happen for example uh allowing only say cpus to mine a, a network and it would be irrational for uh, or impossible for a gpu or an asic to get involved for us funny enough it makes perfect sense uh, not because you can't, but because it would be irrational to, to run an ASIC um, or to, to run uh, GPU mining uh, on, on state through our browser because it only happens at certain use cases at certain points where the service turns it on and it needs it for congestion control purposes or things like that. So uh, another uh, aspect is actually incorporating maybe some proof of works um, in uh, the VIA proof of work or on the universal web where um, we could, they could take advantage of our network to actually uh, increase their throughput or increase the amount of transactions that can happen on their network. Um, and they, you know, essentially they'd be licensing out um, our network uh, and our use cases there. Um, we've also spoken to some peer-to-peer -peer, uh, uh, VPNs and things like that. Uh, one of the things uh, recently was uh, Sentinel. I was, I was speaking with, 
um, a lad on their side, uh, you know, a little bit back and forth. And we kind of just opened the conversation and kind of see where things would fit. Um, we're at, we've asked some specific security related questions. Um, and I expect to kind of continue to, uh, grow from there and speak with, you know, more and more, uh, folks. Officially, yeah. If I'm correct, it's going to be, uh, Quite an exciting second half of 2020. A uh, lot of stuff in the pipeline that might lead to the adoption of your tech. Um, is there anything you want to share before we both get back to business? Sure. So there's there's two things I wanted to focus on uh, before I leave, and it's one is adoption, and and the other is that legal box. So adoption for us comes in large in part from um, we have a few different applications that we're re-releasing. Uh, only on the universal web, which had thousands of users at the time. Uh, and we still have that database and all that contact info and that hole that is still in the market uh, and currently and totally unsolved uh, is perfect for us because it deals with breaking down the security on the web uh, and allowing certain things to happen that shouldn't or that can't happen in a web browser today. Um, and we'll be offering those uh, applications post our soft launch with the UW and we expect that actually outside of crypto people outside of crypto to come in and start using the apps um, that way. And again, for them, it's, it's as simple as downloading That's something, so you know, it's not a uh, doing any really complicated crypto work. It's just them downloading an application and going to a UW site, very straightforward for them, especially for that community and that, that type of market. It's for uh Basically, uh, online marketing is is the kind of the area and the the market that that's in, um, uh, specifically like mass automation uh, processes. Uh, there's been a large pushback from companies like Facebook and Instagram to uh, actually remove those companies forcefully through their terms of use because those companies uh, agreed to those terms of use and were using their API. Um, for our side. We don't need to actually agree to anything. We don't need to uh, agree to an API or use an API. It essentially breaks down, you know, those walls uh, and allows people to do things that they ought not to or shouldn't be doing in a browser today. Um, but on that notion, uh, the, there will be packages available as we did in the past. Um, there are typically monthly packages, but they can be monthly, yearly, or a one-time thing. And at first, we're only accepting SNTBT. So uh, that, you know, you're talking about players that are outside, consumers that are outside of the crypto market coming into the crypto market again mm -hmm. in a very easy way where they don't have to, you know, learn all these new things. Uh, it's very straightforward for them to, um, you know, make that thing happen um, and, and be able to use the application without any type of, you know, intellectual constraints or learning curve. Uh, we've had in the past cool. where they download it and, and run with it. It's been no issue. So that's adoption. Um, and now we have this legal box, which uh, pops out uh, quite often because that's what we're dealing with now. And we have been prior to, prior to the uh, kind of COVID global freeze. But uh, it's something that a lot of folks tend to uh, skip and not realize and kind of they, they like ask us questions. And it's like, well, you're asking it in such a way that we can't answer it. But basically... If you look at a lot of the big projects in crypto or the big ICOs, you know, we didn't do an ICO. Uh, we've been pretty, you know, uh, essentially community, you know, and, and company side that kind of gets everything into play and moves where it moves things where it needs to be. But um, 
with that said, they, a lot of these entities are out of the U.S., so their filings are out of the U.S., usually in Singapore, Singapore, Singapore or Malta, and, um, or even mm-hmm. the Cayman Isles, and they are typically living outside of the U.S. or are not U.S. citizens. They're expats, right? Um, basically, the, the legal box is a complicated, forever-growing you know, mess of, of just lines of, of words where the law changes, the different precedents are set pretty consistently, and you kind of have to adapt to essentially nothing that's, that's written. You have to adapt to uh, precedents that are set in court or things that happen, and you kind of have to go, okay, and guess for yourself, where did things go wrong? What's kind of the actual box? What's the gray area? And we always try to operate whatever, you know, we do. We always try to operate within that gray box. And one of the things that uh, started going on prior to COVID, uh, and it's also tied into, you know, why exchanges are changing and why they're, they're moving, why they're cutting off U.S. customers, uh, where they're shutting down their U.S. side, whether it's like Huobi shutting down U.S. Huobi, something like that, right? There's a lot of these big you know, nuanced, um, not only political, but legal uh, constraints and issues and concerns that are coming into play. Um, But, you know, the best case scenario is you being an expat um, and living maybe in Singapore uh, and operating out of there. Um, That's typically been, you know, the legal box. Thankfully, I think uh, the new filing for us in Wyoming allows a a better box for us to do a bit more with. Um, and then we split the company in two. So uh, the Cenovate side is to be set up in, in Singapore. We've been interviewing and speaking with a lot of people who will be kind of uh, involved on that side of, you know, of the fence. Uh, but it puts us into a much better box where we can actually do a lot more. Um, you know, now we kind of have to stay within that box and say what we can say and do what we can do uh, to a certain extent. And anything out of that box, you know, we just, we, we, we don't touch it. And, and our only concern is there is that the project survives far into the future and we don't do anything to, to jeopardize it whatsoever. Okay, Tom, then I want to thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, there is a lot more stuff to be discussed. Uh, so I think we will, uh, yeah, meet again on a second podcast anytime soon if there is uh, some significant development. So for now, I wish you all the best for the upcoming future, and uh, well, speak soon, Tom. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks again for listening this podcast all the way until the very end. Pretty impressive. If it's Friday. Then I am wishing you a very good Friday evening. And if not, well, enjoy your other day. Your listening is on. I don't really care. Um, unless you have fun. So take care. And be safe. <laughs>